This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And we're stuck on the ghost train. Got another ticket. (laughs) Ghost train. (laughs) We are back here in Do Overdue bonus episode land. Shout out to the patrons who are on this train with us. Uh, they're can't in the get chat. Off, yeah, you can't. But it's going to be a fun ride. <laughs> the, there's only one stop, and it's the end. It's um, like the Hotel California if it was a train. Has anybody ever done a train version of that song? I don't know. The California Express. Hey. <laughs> uh, so this is the podcast where we read books and tell the other people about them. And this for this bonus episode, we're breaking all the rules. Andrew, what are we doing instead? We've been breaking a lot of rules lately. Uh, we are rereading a choose your own adventure book. That we have already partially read. It's it's Choose Your Own Adventure, book number 120, Ghost Train by Louise Monroe Foley. Somewhat infamously, when we read this book originally in 2015, we encountered no trains and barely any ghosts. Yes. Episode 139, <laughs> you can go back and listen. We mm-hmm. failed ourselves, you. We f- yeah, we were pretty mad about it. And also, this book is wicked busted. <laughs> so... I- <laughs> <laughs> we we talked about we we discussed re-listening to the old episode. We decided I was going to, so I did that today. Okay, it was, it was pretty funny still. Oh, good. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know how to get us to the ghost train. I don't know that we've ever read a choose your own adventure book that <laughs> works this hard to keep you from encountering the thing on the cover. Because there's no one choice that we make. Like every every opportunity, we're like, oh, ghosts. Let's do that. And then the book refused to to give us the train that we wanted. That's so a- I don't know how I don't know how to get where we're going. <laughs> That's amazing. I I can kind of keep us from going where we've been. Okay, I like that. Um, I only listened to the very beginning so that I could uh, refresh myself on Louise Monroe Foley a little bit. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about her in just a second. And I listened to the very end. To see how sad we were, uh, and we were kind we're of mad. Then we were mad, <laughs> and and we also talked about doing one of these uh, live with folks, um, which we've done before already, and we're doing it again now. Um, I don't think that we're going to be doing polls with our patrons in this stream because no. we're, we, you all, some of you have information that I don't have. We're also um, on a mission. We're on a mission to get yeah. to the ghost train. Yes, that's the win condition. <laughs> It doesn't matter if we are promptly like run down by the ghost train. If we found the ghost train, we have done what we came here to do. True. Now, I don't remember any of the voices uh, so or the, the choices. Ma- <laughs> the main characters. I'm just trying to adjust my... There we go. Okay. The 
main character had kind of a low, I'm in a low register. I'm a low boy on I'm a summer vacation. Boy. And then there's the main like guy that we're staying with, whose name I'll refresh, I'll remember in a minute when we encountered it, who's kind of like our, our, our gravelly Jersey guy. Oh, sorta. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the voice that we immediately start doing anytime anybody's like, hey, do a voice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Andrew, we can... We should cover real quick, if folks don't remember, Louise Monroe Foley, born 1933, a Canadian writer who later moved to the United States. Uh, She wrote a number of Choose Your Own Adventure books. She's maybe the fourth author in the series after the original Folks and Richard Brightfield. Um, This book was written in 1991. And you took a lot of time to tell me about some books she had written about a... Uh, like intelligent cat or some sort well, of vampire cat. I'm not sure cats. how intelligent the cat, the cat like escaped from vampires and befriended a student. And the vampire is also vegetarian. All of the, <laughs> the, uh, the book blurb stuff for those made them sound way more complicated than they just, they had a lot of things going on. Okay. At once. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to cover about this book or, as far as I can tell, there is no new scholarship on Louise Monroe Foley or on the book Ghost Train that has happened since we read it the first time eight okay. years ago. I did uh-huh. go to villains.fandom.com. <laughs> Find the ghost train. There's a go- there's an entry on ghost trains. Um, their origin is various folklore. Their homeworld is Earth. <laughs> their... <laughs> world their ability this is what you get when you try to cram all fiction into one branded stolen wiki stolen valor wiki enterprise <laughs> is all right so does, does a wiki say like a, is a ghost train a train that died a train that people died on like does the train have unfinished business is that <laughs> did there was like a run you know that it never got the toys to the kids on the other side of the mountain and and so now it's doomed to run the same tracks over and over again for all eternity all i can tell you is at the top of the entry the definition is ghost trains are what considered to be are what considered to be phantom vehicles in the form of a locomotive or train these haunted trains would keep going and they are fully operational but without anyone at the helm and then there's a photo of a big fiery ghost train photo a drawing um, and it says <laughs> it's a photograph. and it says hostile species above it. Uh, it and is then, a, yeah, it does sound like a hostile species. Does it have like a challenge rating or anything that um, we need to know about? No, it's crimes or murder and kidnapping. It's hobby. Why do we got pigeonhole all ghost trains. <laughs> it's it's goals, Andrew. Various, various. Uh, Man, this sucks. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> I mostly wanted to get a list of like popular culture ghost trains because last time I talked about like folklore ghost trains. Um, there's one from a, a direct-to-video comedy drama fantasy film, Casper: A Spirited Beginning. There's a haunted train in an episode of Hey Arnold, a show I know we both love. A murderous train um, with various goals. There's a ghost train in an episode of Thomas and Friends, which really ah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just read. So Henry has a book about all the engines and Thomas and Friends. That's sort of like a 
bunch of little like biographies of all the oh, trains no. and helicopters and stuff on the island. And I'm not aware of any of them that are ghosts, even though there's apparently some kind of rivalry between steam powered engines and diesel engines. Whoa. Just, okay. And diesel engines are inherently untrustworthy <laughs> and nasty. <laughs> That's the story of Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel also. Um, it's like being a stoat in Redwall. Like you're just yes. genetically predisposed to be. Mm-hmm. You're a half elf. Yeah. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and then Andrew, uh, as Graham referenced in the chat, there is a suplexable train in the video game Final Fantasy VI slash three. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a ghost train that you go on, and there's cool music, and then a man named uh, Sabin can you know suplex it. Yeah. So you want to read this book? <laughs> describe sure. the, describe the cover again. Uh, the cover again is a train. Apparently murderous with various <laughs> goals, barreling down on a boy who is who might be running from the train, but who might also not know that the train is back there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he's holding a dog and the dog appears to be leaping for a tennis ball. And those two things are true at the same time. Yes. And the dog and the boy are looking at different things, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, their eyes are not looking at the same thing. I mean, they too have various goals. They have various things that they want. <laughs> like murder, kidnapping, but various goals. Um, and my my copy, which is the same copy I used many many years ago, same, yeah. um, is from a, a a middle school media center in Cold Spring, Minnesota. Uh, and Andrew, I have no dog-eared pages. So I don't, I don't know. have any dog-eared p- pages either. I think last last time in the episode, I talked a lot about just like a picture of a steam shovel or something. <laughs> you that had, had a come. bookmark in there or something. Yeah, and I don't I don't know where that has gone. That's been lost to time. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> should I read should I read the warning or you want to read the warning this time? I okay. So how about I give a couple of notes up top? Great for anybody who's gone back and listened to the first version of this episode. And then you can read the warning. Okay. And we can get going. Please. Um, so one pronunciation note we got. Uh, Okanagan. Okanagan, Is yeah. the correct pronunciation. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, we <laughs> we called all the indigenous people in the book. When the book is not calling them Indians, which it does a lot. Yeah. We called them Native Canadians. Because well. Because I don't think, I think we fell over backwards in, yeah. into that. Uh, so in, indigenous people. That's what we'll use instead of India. Yes, yeah. that is okay. who we were talking about. Great. Okay. Um, so warning, Andrew. Um, there's a, a peaches stand. <laughs> warning. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like from the song Peaches by the Presidents of the United States of Well, America. we're in Canada, so that song doesn't count here. Oh, it, it didn't release it in Canada. No. <laughs> Do not read this book straight through from beginning to end. These pages contain many different adventures that you may have as you try to solve a mystery while spending the summer on a farm in British Columbia, Canada. From time to time as you read along, you will be asked to make a choice. Your choice may lead to success or disaster. The adventures <laughs> Those are the two options. <laughs> the adventures you have. No middle sliders. Are the results of your choices. You are responsible because you choose. After you make a decision, follow the you're you are responsible because you choose. There you After go. you make a decision, follow the instructions to find out what happens next. Think carefully before you act. Someone's Never. 
Someone's been sabotaging the orchards late at night, and you've got to put a stop to it. Your investigations may lead you to a mystery of ghosts and curses, but be careful. Even if you do discover who's behind the sabotage, you may not be able to save the farm. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. There's a lot of information that I have not been given yet in that paragraph. Like what? Like uh, like as a character. I don't know anything I mean, about you, the orchards. You are the, you are the character. The book needs to know about you. Mm. This is a self-insert thing. I don't think this kid has a name. In fact, we gave him a name last time, and it ended up being a name that somebody else in the book already had. So like, I think we're just, we are the kid. Okay. Collectively. We're, we're the kid, and I am just tickled by this opening image, Andrew. Yes, of a middle-aged white man and a young white man getting together and shaking hands. Uh, there's a maple leaf on a plane in the background, so we know that we're in Canada. Yep. And here we are in beautiful Canada. Take it away. You know what's amazing is we did this whole book and we didn't even take one stab at a Canadian accent the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we maybe we figured we were being offensive enough to all the <laughs> all the Canadians who were patiently listening to us. Yeah, all I right. don't I don't know if we'll get there. We'll see. Page one. Here we go. You and your father were ready to leave on a trip to Canada's Okanagan Valley. Did I do it right? Yeah. Okay. In British Columbia, when the company who works for it received a large contract and he had to cancel the vacation, classic 90s dad has to work instead of spending time with his family. 90s dads. (laughs) The man you were going to visit, Harry Westlake, is your father's boyhood friend. And he has asked your parents to let you come anyway. Tour season has started, and Harry, the owner of several orchards and a fruit stand, (laughs) 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 needs some help. Yeah, he does. Harry's great-grandparents, you've learned, were among the first settlers in the area. Hmm, were they, though, or were they among the first colonizers in the area? Hmm. Let's change that. We're among the first colonizers in the area and planted many acres and peach trees. It sounds like a lot of work, but it also promises to be fun. Your parents talked the situation over and have agreed that you can go and work for Harry for the whole summer. Now, five days later, you're on a plane flying north to Canada. A tall, thin man wearing cowboy boots and jeans meets you at the Kelowna Airport. I'm, we're not gonna. We didn't get pronunciation notes on anything else, so nope. sorry, everybody. I, I wait. I'm Harry. He says, <laughs> picking up your suitcase. Glad you're here. I sure can use the help. He leads you to an old station wagon out in the parking lot. Climb in. He pulls out of the parking lot and eases into the traffic flow. So, this your first trip to the Okanagan? He asks. My first trip to Canada. You reply. Okanagan is a strange name. What does it mean? Turn to page two. Here you go. It's kind of vague, like the place of water or something. <laughs> Okanagan. Kelowna, says Stephanie. And, uh, okay, yes. great. Okanagan mm. is the name of the valley and of the lake. He grins at you. Now ask me what Kalamalka means, and I can tell you that. Kalamalka, you say? Rolling the strange word over on your tongue. That means lake of many colors. And now ask me who Ogopogo is. Ogopogo? You're sure he's teasing you. Wow. Right. Right, Ogapogo, and that's just his nickname. His real name is Nahatik. The Salish Indians named him. Okay, you say, grinning. You decide that if you're going to stay with Harry all summer, you'll have to get used to some teasing. (laughs) Who is Nahatik, and what does the name mean? 
It means sacred creature of the water. Or if you like Lake Demon, he's the local pet. I'm turn I'm doing a Willem Dafoe thing. It's a little like it's got a little bit of Texan in it too. Sometimes. Harry turns down a side road. Ahead of you, the clear blue water of a large lake reflects the afternoon sun. He lives in an underwater cave here in Lake Okanagan. You mean a sea monster, you say? You're putting me on. Nope, Harry replies seriously. Many people have seen him. Last year, some fellas from Hollywood even videotaped him. The most we know about Okapogo is that he appears to be friendly. You stare at the lake. Does Harry really believe in sea monsters, you wonder? Go on to the next page. It's a big lake, you say, obviously not knowing anything (laughs) else to respond to that. 80 miles long, Harry says. Plenty of room for a sea monster to hide. He starts the motor and pulls out onto the road. I have a fruit stand just down here ways, and the house and the orchards are up on that hill. House is too big for me. House is too big for me, Harry continues. (laughs) It'll be good to have you there. Give the ghost somebody new to pick on. Ghosts, you say. (laughs) Harry grins. Well, the place is old and creaky. Some of the natives say it's haunted. He turns the station wagon onto a narrow dirt road bordered on the left by a peach orchard. Wow, you say to Harry. Are these all your trees? Not anymore, he says sadly. Used to be that everything from the highway to the foothills was Westlake land. My great-grandfather bought it from the Indians. <laughs> but this pot belongs to the Naldo Corporation now. This'll be its last year in fruit. What do you mean? <laughs> Naldo is a development company, Harry says. They're going to tear out the trees and build condos, unless I can come up with the money to buy back the land. My grandfather would scout me if he knew I sold those acres. Whoa. Again, she's creeping a little Texan. Creeping creeping Um, Texans. I want to share that Heather in the chat uh, pointed out that no Canadian would describe the length of the lake in miles. Well, I mean, maybe he... Maybe he immigrated from America. That's that's fair. He is he is um what's his name's boyhood friend. I think Louise Monroe Foley is Canadian, so it's possible that that was also an edit that she got. That Chusco came in and was like, "Hey, you got to put it in miles." And then also we do we would be remiss if we didn't point out that Harry is like, "Yeah, originally way back in the day, my <laughs> great grandfather bought this." <laughs> Yeah, bought probably, it. Probably at gunpoint uh-huh. from some people who didn't have a choice. So good job, Harry. Great. So we're on to page 52. The Yeah, page 52. The the weird contradiction of Harry is that he is, it's a little guy versus a big corporation, but also the little guys, like, <laughs> not all that long ago, his relatives yeah. did a bunch of bad things to Native people. Yeah. I know plenty of people, plenty of... Good people must own condos. But is there a shorthand for a development that is like more evil in like 90s fiction? <laughs> no. Where well, because we're never talking about the people buying the condos. We're talking yeah. about the people building the condos. Oh, they're just building condos. And then a bunch of miniums. A bunch of yuppies want to move in with their VCRs and their Betamax and <laughs> <laughs> they want to change they want to change the whole character of the neighborhood. Okay. Andrew, do you want me to do these two pages, 52 and 53, and offer you a choice? That would be wonderful. Great. If you don't like Naldo, why did you sell to them, you ask, <laughs> holding on as the station wagon bumps over some railroad tracks that seem to have appeared yes. out of nowhere. Yes, no railroad tracks. I've had two bad years in a row. 
I needed money to pay the mortgage on the rest of the land, Harry explains. Naldo would like to get all my land. They keep sending their snoops around. Do you own a railroad too, you ask, looking back at the old tracks? Harry laughs. <laughs> no, that's the old valley line. <laughs> Used to run through here 50 years ago. Well, there's the house. He points to a large stone and wood house up ahead. Well, no straw. Stone and wood. Harry wood. Pulls the station and wagon. And like nails and probably some dry Glue or something. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Pipes. Pulls the station wagon into a carport. <laughs> Those are the parts of a house, right? <laughs> Wires. <laughs> Toilets. Uh, it's made, my house is made of toilets. Harry pulls mm-hmm. the station wagon into a carport. The house is three stories tall, with balconies extending from some of the third floor windows. You follow him into the front hall and up the stairway to the second floor. He pushes open a door, and you step into a cheerful bedroom, decorated in blue and white. A fireplace on one wall faces windows across another. It's nice, you say, settling down your suitcase. Uh, I'll show you the room upstairs, too, Harry says. Hasn't been used much in the last 50 years, but you can take your pick. He leads you through a door at the end of the hall and up a flight of narrow stairs. The ceiling of the attic room slants with the slope of the roof, and the windows open out onto a small balcony. When I was growing up, I'd often come up here and lay out on the balcony, counting the cars going by way over on the highway. My grandmother would never let me sleep in this room, though. She thought it was haunted. Don't believe in it much myself, but to each his own, I guess. I'm just doing Dr. Girlfriend now. Either room's as good, <laughs> either room's as, good as the other, but it's up to you. Yeah, I am doing Dr. Girlfriend. Um, <laughs> You walk out onto the balcony as you try to make up your mind. Off, this is a big choice, I guess. I know. It's off, <laughs> off, this is character creation type stuff. Off to your left, an eagle soars effortlessly. Beyond the orchards rise the majestic Rockies. The view is breathtaking. You don't believe in ghosts, and a room up in the attic would be really private. Still, the other room was bigger. Maybe you should pick that one? Besides, it has a fireplace and no rumors of ghosts. So, Andrew, if you choose the room on the second floor, turn to page 64. If you decide to ignore these so-called ghosts and stay in the attic hideaway, turn to page 46. Now, do you want to kind of know the the immediate thing that is lurking behind each of these doors? Because this one, I can... Like, we went down both these paths last time. Oh, we do did. You wanna, do you want to know anything about either of them before we... Um, is one or should of, I just make my choice with the foreknowledge that I have? Is well, I, I I would certainly appreciate you to to make a choice that you think has the longer tree behind the, it, the most trainability. Yeah, <laughs> the, sure. Pick the one with the highest train score. That's the thing. So okay, <clears throat> I don't. <laughs> mm. All right, let's so last time we like like children, the children that we were, you weren't even married yet. We were talking about the intro yeah, about I know. your wedding registry. Um we saw the shiny thing, we saw the ghosts, and we're like, room with ghosts, let's let's go. Mm. I think we need to play the long game now. We're okay. older, we're wiser, we're tireder. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> uh so let's decide to ignore the so-called ghosts and stay in the attic. Wait, wait, wait. We should choose a room on the second floor to turn to page 64. The 64. one with no ghosts. Yeah, no pick, ghost room. pick the rhyming option, Andrew. The rhyming option. Yes, okay. I apologize. 
I'll take the room on the second floor. You tell Harry. I've never had a fireplace in my bedroom before. Harry chuckles as you go back downstairs. Back when my great-grandfather built this house, fireplaces was the only heat they had. (laughs) He opens the door to the blue and white room. This was his favorite room. My grandfather's too. I think they liked it because they could see so much of the estate from here. My... (laughs) My grandfather, my my grandfather spent hours at that window squinting into those binoculars. A phone <laughs> rings downstairs, and Harry goes out to the hall. Get unpacked, he says. I'll see what Mrs. Winters is playing for supper. You close the door and look around. On the fireplace hearth is an old coal oil lantern, just like one you saw in a railroad museum once. Good to have in case a storm cuts off the power, you think. You go to the window. The afternoon sun outlines the mountains beyond the orchards to the west. Someone comes down out from behind a shed that stands between the house and the orchard. You pull aside the curtains and pick up the binoculars for a better look. It's a woman dressed in a long skirt with a band of cloth around her forehead, and she's holding a wicked-looking knife. A knife? (laughs) The woman squats down and digs a hole in the clearing. She appears to be burying something. But what? Could she be one of the Naldo Corporation troublemakers that Harry told you about? Turn to page 23. So I showed our audience on the stream. There's an image of this woman digging into the ground with a knife. Mm -hmm. While you you rear window like a creepo. (laughs) Okay. Hurry, you yell. Racing downstairs, there is a strange woman buried. This is a hard voice to get like animated with. There's I know that's st- the fun of. <laughs> There's a strange woman burying something out in the back by the shed. She's gorsh. got a <laughs> gorsh. She's got a knife. She may be one of the Naldo people. Harry Harry grins. Dressed in indigenous garb, he asks. You nod. Or wait, are we changing the no? We could. He says, Indian or not. Harry no, I says, just, I just want to be. I want to make sure I'm doing the same thing as you. Let's. And also, it's part of Harry's character that he's a colonizer, racist. Okay, so jerko. dressed in Indian garb, he asks. <laughs> you nod. That's Belinda, he says. She lives out there. Lives there, you say. But what's she burying? Who knows. Who knows, he says. She buries things out there and chants over them, but I don't pay much attention. Come meet Mrs. Winters. Mrs. Winters, Harry's cook and housekeeper, lives in town and commutes to Harry's every day. Weekends, you're on your own, she announces, (laughs) as she takes off the big white apron that covers her short, plump body. Hmm. Hmm. Harry's a rotten cook, she says, grinning. I suggest you order in pizza on weekends. You and Harry eat supper in a breakfast room off the kitchen. Tell me about Belinda, you say to him. Oh, she's kind of a strange one. I feel sorry for her. Some of the town ladies decided once that she was a threat to the community and needed custodial care, which meant locking her up in the township medical facility. So she got up up a petition. They got up a petition. So they got up up a petition. What happened, you ask? A bunch of busybody Karen ladies. (laughs) Yeah, what is this town? This woman committed. Jeez. Turn to page 42. Couldn't make it stick. They couldn't find a next of kin to commit her, and she wasn't threatening anyone. Only thing against her was that she was living on township land in an old lean-to. Is that against the law? Yep, so I offered her the picker's cabin on my property. 
Couldn't stand to see her locked up on a technicality. I also gave her a job working in the fruit stand. Well, what what a amazing man Harry what a stand is. Up, yeah, what a stand-up guy Harry is. Uh, well, she certainly is weird, you say. Still <laughs> suspicious of the old woman's strange behavior. Harry grins. We're all weird in our own way, <laughs> he says. Belinda is shoe swap, a tribe from up north of here. She's one of the last shamans around. She inherited her grandfather's powers when he died. What kind of powers, you ask? And what's a shaman? A shaman is sort of like a witch doctor, Harry tells you. They can cure people, put curses on them. (laughs) Put curses on people, you say skeptically. I don't believe it. Once you've seen it, you'll believe it, Harry replies. A few years back, I saw... Jesus, Harry not have a story about... He's got 15 stories. He's like... Remember the movie Lincoln? When everyone's Uh, like, hey, Lincoln, can we free the slaves? Mm -hmm. And he's like, one time... When I mm-hmm. was 12, mm-hmm. I'm Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> Call me Abraham Lincoln. A few years back, I saw a logger in Kamloops Ka- <laughs> 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 who had tried to strangle a young brave with his bare hands. The logger didn't kill him, but he messed his throat He messed his throat up enough that the brave couldn't talk anymore. Well, this brave's uncle was a shaman, and he put a curse on the logger. He- <laughs> what kind of a curse, you ask? Turn to page 68. Good lord. Harry, oh God, there's a little box of peaches on this page. <coughs> I know Harry's voice will mess you up. I think that cough needs to stay in to be like true to the yep. experience of reading the book. He put a curse on the logger's hands, Harry says. The fella's got all, hands got all crippled up with fingers bent in and knuckles stiff in a position like he is about to strangle somebody. He can't move his fingers, can't work his job, can't pick anything up, can't even feed himself. So don't you go poo-pooing a shaman's curse. They can be powerful. Harry changes the subject and starts talking about the orchards and the fruit stand, but your mind keeps returning to the woman by the shed and the strange powers that Harry talked about. What in the world was Belinda burying? As you finish your supper, Harry says, Think I'll go out to the West Orchard after supper to check the irrigation pipe. Do you want to come along? You think for a minute. You do want to see the orchard, uh, but you'd also like to keep an eye on this indigenous witch doctor and try to find out what she buried. If you go with Harry, turn to page 59. If you stay at the house, turn to page 80. I am so desperate to get away from Harry, but this is a choice that we didn't take last time because we were also really excited <laughs> to get him? away from Harry. Oh last no! Time. So <laughs> I think it has to be fifty-nine. Okay, we have to go with Harry. We okay. have to go. Okay, I like your thing where if it's if it's in voices Harry, we won't change terminology, but yeah. if it's part of the flavor text, we can. Yeah, somebody in the chat referenced right. the um the the, 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 the doll, thing, doll stuff. Yeah. Have you been following that, Andrew? I have. That's that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I have not read individual passages to compare them. It sounds like they cut pretty deep, though. Yeah, they sound even more rewritten than when we talked about Pippi Longstocking, which I remember uh-huh, had sure. some mistake coming back and, and, you know, tweaking some language. This stuff sounds like really drastic. Anyway, okay, page 59. Yeah, 59. Is it my turn or your turn? Your turn. You made Who's the choice. <laughs> His voice is tired. <laughs> sure, I'll come along. I'd like to see the orchard, you tell Harry. 
After dinner, you help Harry load some plastic piping and tools into an old Jeep. Soon you're bouncing over rutted trails leading through the orchards headed toward the farthest lot. There's more railroad tracks, you say. Yes! Railroad tracks. You say, holding onto the seat. <laughs> what if you were are, a kid going, yes, railroad tracks? Are these tracks connected to the ones we crossed on the way in? Yep. The valley line ran right through here. Tracks all overgrown now. Like I said before, the line hasn't been used for 50 years, maybe longer. My dad used to tell me that when he was a boy, he'd listen for the steam engine whistle, and then he'd run to wave at the engineer. Where did the line run, you ask? Up to Sycamore. All the growers <laughs> shipped their produce out on the valley line. More dependable than what we've got now, if you ask me. What do you mean? The truckers, Harry says. <laughs> They're threatening to strike again. Of course, if the trucking companies would pay them a decent wage, those fellows wouldn't have to strike. But no matter who's to blame, if there's a strike, I'll lose everything. Oh my god. Everything, you ask? You mean the peach crop? I mean everything, Harry repeats. Orchards, house, everything. If I lose the crop, I can't pay the mortgage. If I don't pay the mortgage, Naldo has an option on the whole place. Turn to page 82. What kind of mortgage does Harry have where a house that his great-grandfather built, he's still like paying the bank for? That doesn't make any sense. Unless he took out a mortgage to plant all his peach trees or something. That doesn't sound right. Yeah, I don't know. What are his politics? I sympathize with the unions, but I hate how they make my life. (laughs) I mean, I think Harry would cross a picket line, but he does understand, you know, what he would a day's a day's pay for a day's work. He would walk up to someone on the picket line with a peach like that Mm -hmm. Pepsi commercial and he would Mm -hmm. give them the peach. (laughs) And that would fix everything. And that would fix everything. Bronwyn suggests that. uh, Oh, no. Holy Birds 007 suggests that. Harry has refinanced oh, no. to a new 30 year. Oh no. And that's why he's in this this mess. So oh, that makes sense. Boy. Okay. All right. I'm turning to page 82. Great. Harry's Harry- still here, everybody. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Harry breaks. Th- there's been like three choices. Harry breaks and the Jeep bounces to a stop. Give me a hand, he says, hoisting a length of pipe from the rack on the Jeep. I don't know what that means. That line over there is cracked. You watch as he drops to his knees on the soggy ground, slices out the damaged pipe, and glues in a new joint and section. He slides the damaged piece toward you, put it in the rack. You and Harry check two more spots and then head back to the house. A small bonfire is burning near the spot where Belinda was digging earlier, and she is on her knees beside it, bowing back and forth and chanting. What's she doing? You whisper to Harry. Don't know, don't care, he says. If she wants to tell us, she will. What do you think she buried out there tonight? You ask, unwilling to let the subject drop. That's her business, not ours, says Harry, steering the jeep into the barn. Our business is this pipe. He takes the pipe (laughs) off the rack and lays it on a workbench under a fluorescent light. Just what I thought, he says, turning it over. What, you ask? It's not cracked, says Harry. This isn't weather stress. This pipe's been cut. Who'd want to do that, you ask, as Belinda's knife flashes into your mind? The people who want my land, Harry replies grimly. Turn to page 
62. Okay, so in the chat, a few things happening. Beth says, talking politics with Harry is not unlike talking politics with my mom, TBH, (laughs) which I completely relate to because my dad is like, yeah, the EPA should be abolished, but I really think those uh, college basketball players should get paid money for yeah. the work that they yes. do. Yes, <laughs> what a multitude. Uh huh. Um, and people people be like that in real life. If it's you true. if you like me are detoxifying from Twitter because your app got <laughs> deleted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Allegra says, "Wow, what a spooky ghost filled story." <laughs> Yeah, so far. Okay, so what is the page six? Oh, Andrew, there was a question what? earlier in the chat. What are you drinking? I'm drinking the the double nickel IPA. I've got a Bell's Two Hearted IPA, the one with the fish on it. Delicious fish, delicious fish, delicious. I turned to page. Oh my god. Okay, okay so this... I'll read both of those and let get let you make a make a choice. Okay, okay. Actually, this this might be the one. This is the one I was thinking of. So we had done what we just did, but this choice coming up is one that we didn't take before. Okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> I don't get it. You say to Harry, how would cutting a few pipes help someone get your land? If those trees don't get water during the critical period, there'll be no crop. Controlled watering is the only way. Why don't we take turns watching for trespassers at night? Harry pats your shoulder condescendingly. <laughs> That's me editorializing. It's a good idea, he says, lyingly. But I've got miles of irrigation pipe out there. It would take an army to watch it. We'll just have to spot check. I can watch from my room at night with those binoculars. Harry nods. It couldn't hurt, he says. Also lying. Yep. <laughs> he locks the barn door and the two of you walk in, walk to the house. Belinda has disappeared and the bonfire is now ashes. Do you think Belinda might have cut the pipe, you ask? Racistly? Harry looks at you quickly. <laughs> no, he says. Why in the world would you want to do that? Well, you said this was land that originally belonged to her tribe. I thought that maybe. The whole valley belonged to the Indians, Harry says. Not just my land. Belinda's got no reason to sabotage me. (laughs) It sounds like she has the same reason to sabotage you as anybody. That's what it sounds like. I'll check for other cut pipes in the morning. You can come with me or work in the fruit stand. You're not convinced that Belinda isn't behind the sabotage. If you work in the fruit stand, you'll have a chance to size her up and maybe prove that she's the culprit. But the irrigation system is extensive, and Harry could probably use your help checking the pipes. If you go with Harry, turn to page 26. If you work at the fruit stand, turn to page 39. So working at the fruit stand got us to a non-ghost train choice last time. Okay. I also strongly feel that we should not go and continue racially profiling this woman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Man, I guess we got to go with Harry, though. Turn the page twice. Next time we get a real choice, which we're in uncharted territory now. Next time we get a real choice, you can make it. Page 26. Uh, I'll help. Oh, jeez. He's starting to talk like Harry. My bad. (laughs) You pick up the accent when you stay there for a day. (laughs) I'll help you check the pipes, you say to Harry. Meeting a saboteur sounds a lot more exciting than selling cherries, you think. And he sells peaches. Yeah, what the... <laughs> <laughs> in, in the morning, Harry shows you how to repair damaged pipe by cutting out the broken section and gluing a new sleeve over both ends. The two of you leave to start your inspection. Watch out for soggy ground, Harry says as the Jeep bounces along. That spot looks bad, you say, pointing to a swampy area. <laughs> Harry pulls over and you jump out to inspect the pipe. It's 
it's been cut, you say. I can fix this one. I'll run through the orchard when I'm done and meet you on the other side. Righto, Harry yells, driving off. This is promising. Yeah, leaving you the child of his best friend from college. His boyhood friend. <laughs> That's like me leaving Simon alone in a field. <laughs> fix the oh, pipe, whoa. Simon. Whoa, page 61, right? Okay. Stuff's popping off now. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, we finally we finally got rid of him. Describe we finally killed him. <laughs> Describe the scene, Andrew. <laughs> it looks like the the jeep has flipped and Harry's been thrown from it. His leg bent at a at an unnatural angle. Uh, and yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't look like he's dead, but it doesn't look like he's doing good. No, not at all. It doesn't take you long to replace the pipe. Soon you're jogging through the orchard to meet Harry. Suddenly, a sharp noise rips through the morning quiet. It sounds like a rifle shot. You stop and listen, circling up the side of a small hill so you can look down into the valley below. Now it's obvious that what you heard was a tire blowout. The jeep is is tipped over and Harry is lying motionless beside it. Harry, you yell, sprinting down the slope. Harry! (laughs) His eyes flutter open and then close. My leg, he whispers. (laughs) His right leg is twisted at the knee at a grotesque angle. It looks like it's broken, Harry, you say. I'd better not try to move you. I'm going back to the house for help. You grab a blanket from the back of the Jeep and spread it over it. (laughs) 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 Try to lie still. I'll try to lie still. I'll hurry, you promise. You run back to the house. Mrs. Winters calls for an ambulance and a tow truck. Harry is taken to Valley Hospital where his leg is set and put in a cast. The doctor says it will be several days before he can come home. Turn to page 73. Uh, Sarah O in the chat says, this book is about everything but ghost trains. I know. That's the thing. It's like, where is even a train? Where is a ghost? (laughs) Okay. So Harry's on the injured list. Uh, Uh He's on the DL now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Page 73. Mm-hmm. The Jeep is towed to the equipment barn. Um, no point in trying to fix that tire, the tow truck driver says. The shot went through both walls. Shot, you say? I thought it was a blowout. <laughs> nah, it was a rifle. I'd stake my paycheck on it. But <laughs> Superman here, the tow truck driver. <laughs> would want to shoot at Harry, you ask? The driver shrugs. Who knows? Could have been tourists after some game out of season (laughs) or kids taking target practice. You don't tell Mrs. Winters that the tire was shot. She's nervous enough already. I don't like the idea of you staying alone in this big old house. Only person around is that Indian woman, and she's kind of strange. Why don't you stay with Mr. Winters and me in town until Harry gets home? Good to know Mrs. Winters also sucks. Uh, (laughs) I'll be fine, you tell her. I don't mind staying alone. But that night when you're up in your room trying to read, you aren't quite so brave. The The quietness of the house becomes like another presence. And then you start to hear things. Running water, footsteps, whispers. Is someone outside? You grab the binoculars and creep over to the window. The moon is bright, and you focus on a shadow over by the shed. It's Belinda! She stoops to pick up a bundle, and you see the flash of her knife slipped into her belt at the hip. Turn to page 54. All right. 
All right, we got a picture here. You want to tell me what's going on? Oh, sure. You want to show the folks I'll, I will on the show stream. the folks at home, yes. Okay, we've got our boy in his plaid. <laughs> Whoa! We've got our boy in his plaid shirt and jeans carrying an old-timey lantern, and his left hand is having a time, and he is looking... <laughs> his left hand has become AI-generated. <laughs> He is looking behind. He's he's wearing an, a a shirt for a man much larger than him. And yeah, he he's is, like I love to have a huge <laughs> pocket on my tummy when I wear a shirt. Looks like he's wearing this. Sh- <laughs> the guy on the old supermarket sweeps always wore big oversized shirts. Um, and I think Belinda is disappearing into the trees. She is, yes, in mm-hmm. the middle ground, and then. In the background. Now, these are on one side. Are these all peach trees? Because the leaves are different between the two of them. But it I'm looks like sure. a bunch of peach trees. Some and of them in, could be ghost trees. Oh, good point. And in the back, there is a train with mist rolling around its wheels. Seems pretty ghostly to me. Everybody in the chat's losing it. Like Drake just came on our podcast. <laughs> He's from Canada. Yeah. See? I know Canada stuff. Uh, Go for it. Take it away. As you watch from the window, Belinda starts walking quickly toward the orchards. Still watching, you slip your shirt and jeans on. She heads across the fields to the right. That's the area Harry was going to check this morning before the accident. Maybe your earlier suspicions were right. Maybe she is the culprit. Her knife is certainly sharp enough to cut through plastic irrigation pipe. The only weapon that exists in all of Canada yep. is this woman's this knife. one woman's knife. You grab the old train lantern from the hearth and race downstairs and outside after the native woman. You don't want to lose her. Suddenly, you hear a shrieking whistle. You whirl around. Or indigenous, probably indigenous woman, I'm sorry. You whirl around. You can't believe your eyes. An old-fashioned train is chugging through the orchard half a mile below the house. But it can't be. Harry said the tracks hadn't been used for 50 years or more. What's going on here? You turn around just in time to see Belinda disappear into the trees at the edge of the orchard. She doesn't look back when the whistle blows again. It's as though she has heard nothing. Belinda could be on her way to sabotage more of Harry's irrigation system. Harry will be home in a few days, and this could be your only chance to trail Belinda without interference. But you also want to find out more about the mysterious train. Where is it coming from? Where is it going? And why didn't Belinda seem to hear it? If you run to investigate the train, turn to page 43. If you continue to follow Belinda, turn to page 32. Another choice that is not a choice at all. Where did you (laughs) you come from? Where did you go? Mm -hmm. Where did you come from, Ghost Train Joe? Mm -hmm. Like... We found what? it, though. We found it. I think we, we need to take a minute to pause and just recognize that we found the ghost train. We did find the but ghost train. How We are uh, 47 minutes into our second <laughs> podcast about this book, and we have finally found a ghost train. We have people threatening to unsub from the Patreon if we don't <laughs> follow this freaking train. Well, I know where my bread's buttered. We better I'm, go investigate just the train, I marveling. guess. And mm-hmm. how much book has happened, There's and so much all book. of a sudden, literally up until now, no one has said Ghost Train. Yeah, we've barely we've seen train tracks two times. And one person <laughs> said, ho oh, Ghosts. And all of a sudden, the title of the book shows up, and it's like, well, would you like to com- like continue this compelling plot where you harass an indigenous woman? Or would you... <laughs> 
like to go find out why the book is called Ghost Train. I just think it's probably that the original name of the book was racial profiling and then Choose Co. was like, no, you can't call it that. Is there anything else in here? <laughs> There's a bunch of people chanting train in our chat. We have to go to, <laughs> we page. Have to, go to We do have to go. We to have page. to go to page 43. 43 to investigate the train. <clears throat> okay. Savannah says they couldn't title the book Peach Racists. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You decide that you can catch up with Belinda later. Uh Right now, you want to find out about the train and where it's going. You run across the field. Puffs of steam come from the engine. The whistle screeches. Then you hear another noise. A dog is barking angrily at the train. The animal has a large frame, but there's not much flesh on its bones. Where did it come from, you wonder? Harry doesn't have any dogs. You whistle. Here, doggy. You whistle again. The train is getting closer and closer. Everybody's also going absolutely wild for this dog because we finally are in a position to recreate the book cover. Finally. The yellow dog is standing right on the tracks, defying the machine as it approaches. Your heart is thumping in your chest. The stupid mutt is going to get hit for sure. You leap for the dog, pushing it across the tracks just in time. The force of your tackle wins you, and you lie quietly for a few seconds, trying to piece together what has happened. You look around for the dog, but you don't see him. Everything is blurry. As your head clears, you feel a chill of fear. Faces crowd in around you, wearing concerned expressions. Greg. Where am I, you ask? You're on the Valley Flyer, a yes, man yes, says. Yes, 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 ghost train, ghost train, ghost train. I'm Ben Huggins, the engineer. <laughs> he points to a man covered with coal dust. This here's Frank, my fireman. And Rusty and Jeremiah here, I'm a brakeman. And this is Saul, our conductor. You start Let to me pr- introduce you by name to every single person on the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album cover that is this ghost train. You start to protest, but the rhythmic sound of steel on the rails cannot be camouflage. You know it's true. No. You're riding the train that hasn't traveled these tracks for over 50 years. Turn to page 99. I'm going to lose my mind. I'm good. This is really, this is, uh, this is special. I feel God on this ghost train tonight. Uh, Sarah O, I think, said ghost train spotting. Yes. In the chat. I have to scroll way up toward people being super hype about everything that's happening. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the name is Ben Huggins to to Graham, I think, who asked what the yes. name was. Oh my god! god. Okay, page ninety nine. Ben Huggins, explic- inexplicably from the American South. <laughs> you feel the train slowing as it veers off onto a, a siding and stops. A ghost, a ghost track switching. <laughs> Strong hands help you to sit up. The engineer smiles at you. Is this Ben Huggins still the engineer? I th- think so yeah that was very brave of you to try to save the dog he says i don't get it you say what happened where's the dog where is the dog and where did this train come from harry says the valley line hasn't run for over 50 years and all of a sudden i see you going through the orchard you shake your head in confusion i must be dreaming you continue it's as if i've jumped back in time you are not dreaming 
Ben says, and you haven't jumped back in time. You just move sideways. Sideways, you ask? Ben nods. Most people don't understand that all timelines run parallel. What do you mean, you ask, more confused than ever? Well, for example, the 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries are all occurring at the same time. So are the decades of the 20s and the 30s and the 90s. What the? <laughs> this rules! They're all populated by different people, but once in a while, something will happen that allows someone, in this case, you, to move between timelines. <laughs> Do you know what happened, you ask? The men exchanged glances. What the? <laughs> what is happening? Katie says every train everywhere all at once. <laughs> Page 18. Page 18. Oh, man. <sighs> Feels so good. I didn't even know that I have spent the last eight years wondering what the ghost train was like. This and now is, I finally, <laughs> you can't, like it turns out you can go home. If Geraldo had found something in that tomb when he finally went <laughs> there. Al Capone's vault. <laughs> no, it's like if Al, if he had gone to Al Capone's vault and then found nothing, but then went back eight years later and found another door in the vault, and, and there was stuff back behind just that. There, one. yeah. <laughs> you make oh. an Al Capone's vault reference on our podcast in 2023. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I um, guess it's that all timelines are running parallel, and that reference jumped tracks two decades into our reality. Okay, so four we decades, got, whatever. We got a new guy <laughs> named Frank who's going to talk. He's one of the fifteen people we met in that one mm-hmm. scene. All right, so this is Frank. What do we think Frank sounds like? Oh boy, um, I'm afraid so. Frank says the dog you tried to save was hit by this train in 1905. <laughs> I feel dog, like Frank would say 1905. The 1905. The <laughs> dog's owner, an Indian shaman, put a curse on us. <laughs> And the train. Now all we can... He's old Jerry Seinfeld. Now all we can do is keep shunting back and forth between your time zone and the time zone we came from. His voice... Came from... His voice drops and his eyes missed over. It can't be time zone. Time zone's a thing already. Yeah. <laughs> you can't well, call that's a, time zone. Well, they invented time zones because of trains. That's cool. <laughs> Until the dog is returned, Ben tells you. We can't enter your time zone, and we can't go back to ours. We need your help. (laughs) My help? The dog? I don't see how I can help. I don't even know how I got here. Your coal, your coal oil, your coal oil lantern got the, you It was here. a lantern the whole time? That lantern fell off this train the night the dog was hit. It doesn't belong in your time zone. Folks in that big house must have found it out here. He picks it up and points to a name stamped into the blackened metal, Valley Flyer. Just like mine, see, he shows you his lantern. As long as you have it, you'll be able to signal us and move between your time zone and ours. What happened to the dog, you ask? Who cares about the dog? <laughs> Not sure. This has gotten so much bigger than the dog. I'm sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> After tonight, we know that he's alive and living in your time zone. All if right, you, everybody in chat cares about the dog. I if apologize. you can help us get him safely back to his own timeline, the shaman will lift the curse and we'll be able to return to our families. Will you help us? 
you look at their anxious faces and wonder how you would cope with being stuck between time zones. Well, I've lived in Ohio. I understand how that works. <laughs> we won't lie to you, Ben says. It could be dangerous. This shaman has great power. What's the shaman's name, you ask? Uh, Belinda, Frank says. Whoa. Belinda. Can the strange old indigenous woman really be the powerful shaman the train men are talking about? You're not sure you want to get too involved with her. On the other hand, you feel sorry for the men. You might be their only chance to return to their own time zone. If you decide to help them, Andrew, turn to page 106. If you refuse to help them, turn to page 54. I mean, we got to help them. We can't we refuse. We can't refuse the call. You can't put the refusal of the call at like the end of your movie, which is what this book is trying to do. Like we have to accept the call. <laughs> Savannah says, "Ah, oh, yes, the train men, the true victims of this story." <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're going to turn to page 106. I'm going to put a little. I'm going to dog ear this page just in case. Okay, yeah, please do it. Yeah, 106. Okay. All right, stuck between time zones. I'll help if I'll help you if I can. You tell the crew of the train, but there's something I don't understand. Belinda, the shaman, is living in my time zone. If her dog gets back to the correct time zone, will she go back automatically? What does Jeremiah sound? Like? We've Do never we heard Jeremiah? him speak. A we don't know. Jeremiah <laughs> says <laughs> she passes through time frequently. We've seen it as we go up and down the valley. But you can't reclaim a dog until it's in the right time zone. It can't get back without your help, and neither can we. What do I have to do? One week from tonight, Ben replies, is the anniversary of the dog's accident with the train. We think he'll be back on the track waiting. We want you to be there, too. Deliver the dog to us, and we'll take it from there. I'll do my best, you say. What time? When the clock strikes ten, you'll hear the whistle, says Ben. Have the dog in your grasp by the third blast. <laughs> we'll slow down to get him aboard. Saul will be watching for you, but you mustn't tell anyone about us. Not a soul. I won't. I promise, you say. They back the train off the siding and let you off just below the house. Clutching the lantern in one hand, you swing down from the engine. The moment your feet touch the wet grass in the field, the train vanishes. Once again, the track is overgrown with grass and weeds. There's no sign at all that a train has passed through. You shiver. It's late and you're tired, but you don't sleep very well. Turn to page 94. I am now a resident of the ghost train. I don't know where Jeremiah's voice came from. I don't know why the dog is blasting. What's happening here? I don't know. Oh my God! Ninety-four. Mm-hmm. Two days after your encounter with the Phantom Train, Harry comes home from the hospital. Since he has limited mobility on his crutches, you and Mrs. Winters turn his downstairs office into a bedroom. Harry is in a bad mood most of the time. He spends hours on the phone talking to other growers about the possible trucker strike. When you tell him the Jeep tire blowout was caused by a rifle shot. He hires a guard, a man named Chuck Simpson, to patrol the farm. But even with Chuck on the job, you continue to find irrigation pipe that has been cut. You wonder about your meeting with the train. Will the dog show up? Will you be able to get him aboard the coach? Did it all really happen? Or were you just dreaming? 
I love that this book is like, we finally got on the ghost train. Finally, finally. But let's take a little interlude to check in with Harry's growing Oxycontin addiction. <laughs> like, I let's wonder, do that. Andrew, ooh, what, what, what if the ghost train is mm-hmm. cutting the irrigation lines? Ooh, with its wheels? With its wheels. Ooh, that would be spooky. Let's read, let's read ahead and find out. Turn to page 101. 101. The day you're supposed to meet the train is rainy. Not a gentle summer rain, but a torrential downpour that threatens the peach crop and makes Harry even more surly. You're right. glad when dinner's over. I think I'll go upstairs and read. You tell Harry. He nods, but doesn't look up from his papers he's working on. Good night, he mutters. I'll be turning in soon myself. You lie down on your bed with a book, but you don't read. You watch the clock. At 9.40, you pick up the lantern and loop a piece of rope around your belt and creep downstairs. In your back pocket is a piece of rawhide to use as a lure for the dog. No light is showing under the door to Harry's room. You go outside. It has stopped raining and the air is fresh, but the overhead sky is dark. The night feels ominous. Turn to page 88. You slosh along through the orchard to the piece of track where you're supposed to meet the yellow dog and the train. You're early, but you want to be ready. You light the lantern and lean up against a tree to wait, peering through the darkness. It seems as if you've been waiting forever when you hear a low growl come from the other side of the track. You hold up the lantern. From the north side of the property, you hear a faint whistle. You see a yellow blur moving through the shadows as the dog approaches. As you move toward the track, a voice calls out behind you. Stop! Halt! You're <laughs> trespassing. It's the guard, Chuck. He can't tell that it's you. You know he's carrying a rifle, but would he dare shoot? He's going to ruin everything. The train whistle blows again and the dog barks, but you know Chuck can't hear or see either one. You don't have much time. Halt! Chuck cries again. Should you identify yourself to Chuck and risk losing the dog? Or should you concentrate on the dog and hope that Chuck doesn't decide to shoot you? If you stop and identify yourself, Andrew, turn to page four. If you go after the dog, turn to page 28. I think we're here for the dog, yeah? Yeah, we're do here for the dog. Do you still have your thumb in that whether yeah. to help the train guys or not choice? Because uh, I think I do want to go back and do that one if this doesn't I did. take too much longer. Yep, yep, okay. yep. 28. Great. All right, we did it. All right, you want to... Sh- <laughs> should we read and... Then show everybody the illustration, or uh, yeah, <laughs> Jesus halt. Christ. Chuck repeats, but you have more important things to do. The dog is crouched on the other side of the track, watching you. You reach for the rawhide in your pocket and toss it into the air. The dog leaps up and seizes it, seizes it in its teeth. The train is coming closer. You grab the rope at your belt to loop it around the dog's neck. A shot rings out. The next morning, investigators at the site try to piece together what happened. It's clear to them that Chuck mistook you for a trespasser and shot and killed you, but the real mystery is what happened to him. One older detective scratches his head. (sighs) I don't know if I have another voice in me. For, this will just be normal voice. Great. This is normal. I'm going to burn it. For the Great. life of me, it looks like the poor fellow was caught by the cowcatcher on a train and dragged along the track here. Leastways, that's what the markings on the grass alongside the track seem to indicate. But there's been no train on this track for 50 years. <laughs> Maybe more, says the other detective. I know, the older man replies. Chuck's death is recorded as an unsolved mystery in the township records. The only witness to the events of that night is a yellow dog who frequently returns to chew on a piece of rawhide that he has buried near the tracks. The 
end. Would you like to describe the art that accompanies this ending, Andrew? You're tossing that rawhide to that dog. Ghost train's barreling down. Chuck Simpson is running. He's got a hat on. He's got a gun. He's going to shoot to kill. <laughs> he is shooting a teenager. He's, he's shooting, shooting an American teenager, teenager in Canada. A, he's causing an international incident <laughs> by shooting an American teenager, by, by shooting to kill in the pitch dark in Canada. Yep. To protect peaches. Protect peaches. Mm-hmm. And then he gets run over by a ghost train. Mm-hmm. And the dog shows up sometimes. Yeah, the dog's still alive. Okay. She whiz. All right, turn, I'm going to go back to page 19. 19 to decide not to help the train guys. If we decided if you refuse to help the train men, Jeremiah, Frank, Ben, and the gang. And, and company. Um, turn to page 44. <clears throat> oh, another ending. Ooh, we found one. Okay. I'm sorry, you say to the train men, but I can't help you. I've got my hands full already with Harry, his broken leg, and Naldo cutting irrigation pipe in the orchards. I just can't do it. It's too dangerous. Ben nods sadly. If that's your decision, we'll have to abide by it, he says. The men go back to their stations. The engine shudders as the train backs off the siding. You grasp the lantern with one hand and swing down into the ankle-high grass of the field. The minute you let go of the engine's handrail, the train disappears, but standing in its place is the angry dog. With teeth bared, it lunges at you, tearing first at your arms and then at your head and neck. You try to fend off the attack, but you're no match for its violent frenzy. One well-placed bite opens your jugular vein. Your body is discovered the next day in the field south of the house, but it's it's too late. You've already passed into another time zone, and your coal oil lantern is still burning. That dog killed us. Boy, all the pro dog people in the chat feeling pretty silly now that the dog killed us, an American teenager. Oh, no. How could Chuck kill us and threaten the dog? The dog killed us. I feel like we should go back to another point, but I don't know. The only other one. I so could we decided f- to help them 106. There was that one like where it was four, like, identify yourself to Chuck on page 88. 88. Yeah, we could identify ourselves to Chuck and see how that goes. Okay. It took us so long to get here. It feels silly not to. <laughs> to figure out what's happening in yeah. this other book. <laughs> so we stop and identify ourselves and turn to page four. Okay. See, this is, I wondered sometimes about the moon separatists on, yes, in that one exactly. choose your adventure book. And I think it would be kind of like this. Don't, uh, don't worry, Chuck. It's just me. You yell, you wave the lantern so he can see you. I couldn't sleep. Came out to get some air. Right. Chuck replies, just checking. He turns and goes off in the other direction as you breathe a sigh of relief. That was close. You have no idea how close that was. It could have like gone you were, you were so within three bad. seconds of getting no scoped by Chuck in the dark. You look at your watch. It's almost 10 o'clock. The train is approaching through the North Orchard, and the dog is on the track. Your timing is perfect. You reach for the rawhide in your pocket. This kid has probably seen Back to the Future, right? Yeah, probably. Okay. You reach for the rawhide in your pocket, and just as the dog leaps, you toss it into the air. He catches the rawhide in his teeth. You grab the scruff of his neck and loop the rope over his head as the whistle blows for the third time. You can see the brakeman, the brakeman's lantern swinging as the train slows almost to a stop. 
you pick up the dog and heave him at Saul as he leans out the door of the passenger coach. Jeremiah salutes you with his lantern as the caboose passes by. (laughs) The steam engine puffs along through the orchard below the house and then disappears. As you walk back up to the house, you're left with an empty feeling. You'd like to know what happens to the crew. You climb the stairs to your room and put the lantern down to the hearth. You wonder if it will if it still has the power to signal to the train in the other time zone or if it only worked with when the train was between timelines. God dang it. You take off your damp clothes and crawl under the warm comforter. You fall asleep instantly. Uh Andrew just want to describe this little dog tossing incident yeah here. you're just tossing a dog to uh <laughs> to bob odenkirk as he leans <laughs> off of a train uh <laughs> yeah and that's pretty much the deal okay go to page the dog dog noticeably less lethal in this one than he was in that, that other ending that we just did very true mm-hmm. the who are the illustrations by turn to page 111 it's, it says on the the beginning they're by uh Fella named Frank Bowl. Okay. All right, Frank. Thanks, Frank. 111. 111. Go for it. The next morning, Harry hollers to you before the alarm goes off. At first, you think you're dreaming, but when Mrs. Winters taps on the bedroom door, you know it's no dream. You hop out of bed and open the door. Hurry down, dear, she says. Harry needs you. You throw on your clothes and run downstairs, wondering what the fuss is about. Harry's in the office eating breakfast. He pushes a plate of bacon and eggs towards you. Here, eat up, he says. Sorry about the rush, but we're short-staffed today. I need you to go work in the fruit stand. But Belinda, you start to say. Belinda has disappeared, Harry says. When she didn't come to pick up the cash box at 6.30, I sent Mrs. Winters over with it. Belinda's gone lock, sock, and barrel. The pickers' cabin is so clean, it looks like she never lived there. Of course, Belinda's gone back to the other time zone with the dog. A big grin crosses your face as you put the pieces together. That means it really did happen, and the trainmen are now back with their families. What are you grinning at? Harry asks. Oh, I'm just looking forward to working in the fruit stand, you tell him. It will be different. Here's a cash box, Harry says. Chuck's waiting outside to give you a ride to the stand. Turn to page 27. You pick up the cash box and go out. The pickup truck is loaded with boxes of cherries and apricots and early peaches for the stand. Hurry up, Chuck says. At least that Indian woman got there on time. Didn't ride, always walked. Good four miles from the house. But she was prompt. I'll give her that. I'm usually prompt too, you say. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to be working in the fruit stand until ten minutes ago. You were out late last night, Chuck says, snooping around with that lantern. If you're spying on me, you'll be sorry. You start to speak, but he cuts you off. That's what that Indian woman did. Followed me around. Never said anything. Just watched. Good riddance. Well, Chuck sucks. Cool. Wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he did kill you in the other time zone. He did so, shoot you. Yeah. He did shoot a teenager in the face. Um, a truck passes you and the driver flashes his headlights. Uh, The driver signaled to you, you say to Chuck. Never saw him before, Chuck says. Turn to page 70. Yeah, Chuck is a violent person. Yeah. I don't trust... In my head, he's like like an evil Nick Offerman. (laughs) Uh, Your intuition tells you he's lying. Two miles down the road, you know you're right when you see the same truck parked on the shoulder. The driver is standing... Beside the vehicle, waving as you approach, Chuck ignores the man and drives quickly past, but not before you've seen the red and black Naldo emblem on the truck. Why would a Naldo driver signal Chuck? 
You walking back or you expect me to come and get you? Chuck asks. Walking back sounds a lot more pleasant than riding with Chuck again. On the other hand, if you ask for a ride, you might be able to learn why the Naldo driver was flagging him. If you ask Chuck to pick you up, turn to page 31. If you say you walk back, turn to page 47. Um, this Naldo person doing the chillest, most undercover <laughs> covert op that has ever been done, just driving around in a truck with the co- company logo on it. Everyone to- in the chat is is popping off saying that Chuck is the one cutting the pipes. Chuck we is the bad guy. Because yeah, Chuck is the Chuck is the mole. We found the mole, Craig. We found the mole. Who is the mole? Is Chuck? Uh, <laughs> Chuck's gonna pick us up. Turn to page thirty-one. Yeah, turn to page thirty-one. Let's. Good luck, Chuck. Good luck, Chuck. It, I'd I'd like a ride back to the farm. You tell Chuck. Pick me up around five thirty. I'll be here when I get here. He mutters. You ignore his comment and start unloading the fruit. Your mind is focused on the Naldo. There's a third book in here. Your mind is focused on the Naldo. Yeah, I like truck. We, we did the ghost train part, <laughs> and that was that wasn't an ending though. We have to go back to like the business intrigue that we were in in the beginning of the book. What the hell is happening? If there's there's <laughs> this book is bigger on the inside than it looks. Um, <laughs> like House of Leaves. If, <laughs> choose your own adventure book. If Chuck is working for Naldo. That would explain why he hasn't cut caught anyone trespassing and why you continue to find cut irrigation pipe hiring him as a guard is like hiring a fox to guard the chickens later chuck says slamming down the last flat of cherries he jumps into the truck and pulls out into the road heading back toward where the naldo truck was parked you push aside thoughts of trying to follow him and tend to the business at hand you lift the tray of bills out of the metal cash box and put it in the wooden drawer as you do you uncover a drawing you pull it out and examine it carefully on the left side of the paper is a sketch of an old truck with the Naldo emblem on the door. Beside the truck is a stick man wearing a baseball cap, much like the one Chuck wears. In front of <laughs> the, the only man who wears a baseball cap could be Chuck. In front of the man is a pipe spurning water. In the lower right-hand <laughs> corner is a drawing of a feather like a signature. Suddenly it's all becoming clear. Belinda was the only one who had the cash box. She must have suspected Chuck too, which We've is why she did this crude drawing of Finally, him. finally, finally, justice for Belinda. Finally. Justice. 97. Nine, page 97. We got another good good looking picture on here. Man, oh we've worn a lot of shirts and jackets. <laughs> Our character has in this. <laughs> You tuck the drawing into your sh- you tuck the drawing into your shirt pocket. You're convinced that it means Chuck is working for Naldo. Business is slow, and you're impatient to close so you can get back and tell Harry of your suspicions. When Chuck finally arrives a little after five thirty, you're waiting out in front with the cash box in your hand. Well, you're in a rush to quit work, he says. Load the fruit. He takes the cash box and thumbs through the bills. Not much here, he says. Maybe you're skimming some off the top. I wouldn't take Harry's money, you say angrily. Of course not, Chuck says sarcastically. What's that sticking out of your pocket? He reaches over and snatches the drawing from your shirt pocket. Give that back, you yell, but you're too late. Chuck has already unfolded the drawing and is studying it. What do you know about this? He says. Nothing. It's something Belinda drew, I guess. I didn't pay much attention to it. I'm glad, Chuck says. He (laughs) wads up the drawing, reaches into his pocket for a match, and sets it ablaze. That's that. Now you won't have to pay any attention to it at all. Ever. Get it? Turn to page 83. For those who were not in the chat, there's a 
a drawing of uh, you in what is probably a Canadian tuxedo, all denim, all the time, um, staring at Chuck, who looks a little bit like Sergeant Slaughter, wearing a flannel shirt, standing in front of a mountain and a tractor, uh, very angrily looking at this drawing that he is going to light on fire while I'm the cash sorry, box... I'm sorry, what did you... He's Excuse looking me, at he's what? looking at a drawing yeah, thank um, you. while the cash box is on the floor. Mm-hmm. 83? 83. Um, Chuck... Oh, this block! <laughs> Chuck watches... I'm sure we've got a whole bunch of other characters we haven't even met yet. Um... Uh yeah, Sergeant Slaughter was a wrestler. He was, you know, famously in the military and also on GI Joe and then he became a bad guy during the Gulf War. It's very strange. <laughs> I Page... mean, a lot of us a lot of us became bad guys during the Gulf War. <laughs> Page 83. Uh-huh. Chuck watches silently as you finish loading the fruit. Then the two of you get into the truck. He pulls out onto the highway and steps on the accelerator. Where are we going, you ask? This isn't the way back to the farm. No, it isn't. Chuck says to you, you know too much now. I can't let you go back to Harry's. I'm taking you to see the real boss. There's no doubt in your mind now that Chuck is on the Naldo payroll. And there's no (laughs) doubt in your mind that you're in great danger. Should you try to escape now? If you're going to warn Harry, there's no time to lose. Chuck is only one man, and who knows how many of his cohorts will be waiting at the other end. Escaping from the truck may be difficult, though, especially at the speed Chuck is driving. Maybe it would be better to wait until you reach your destination and then make a break for it? The way That way you might even learn something that could help Harry. Andrew, if you try to escape now, turn to page 12. If you wait for a better chance... Turn to page 100. Are you going to ladybird out of this truck? I don't think we have ever read a choose-your-own-adventure that's like, you know what? There are no good endings. You just keep reading till you get a bad one. <laughs> like, we're either going to get killed by Chuck by accident in the middle of the night, or we're going to get killed by Chuck on purpose as we try to solve what people in the chat have correctly identified as a noir. Katie says, is there any chance that the real boss is the lake monster? And I am reminded that there is a There's Loch Ness a another, monster yeah. somewhere mm-hmm. in this book. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to go? 12 or 100? I mean, we don't really know anything except Chuck yeah. works for Naldo, long, right? long game, long game. Should yep. we wait for a better chance? Wait for a better chance. Find okay. some more information. You decide to wait for a better opportunity to escape and find out as much as you can in the meantime. Who's a real boss? You ask Chuck <laughs> casually. <laughs> Just like doing casual reconnaissance. You'll find out soon enough, he says. You drive for several miles through a densely forested area and turn off on a side road. Soon you're passing rows of cherry trees. A large house sits at the end of the road. Beyond the house are several outbuildings. Chuck drives past the house toward a long, low building. A truck with a Naldo emblem meets you halfway down the lane. The driver waves at Chuck. It's the same man you saw on the highway this morning. I'm taking the kid to the bunkhouse until dark, Chuck yells. (laughs) The driver nods and signals for him to pass. Turn to page 79. i just like to point out that my book is, like, actually falling apart. Yeah, no, we can't. We're, well, <laughs> it's the, the heat of this plot is melting the glue. It, it's a lot. It's a lot like that intro Super Metroid sequence where you're trying to run out of the space station as it collapses around you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 79, you said? Mm-hmm. 79. Out. Chuck says, when you reach the building, you follow him inside. There are six bunks in the main room, and it smells musty as if no one has been in it for a long time. This way, 
Chuck leads you to a door marked infirmary. In you go, he says, giving a shove. <laughs> the door slams behind you, and you hear the key turn in the lock. There's a cot in the room and a small desk and chair. A narrow window about two feet deep rims one wall at ceiling height. You climb onto the desk so you can look out. You can't see the house from where you are, but within view is another long, low building bigger than the one you're in. You get down and sit on the cot to think. Chuck said, until dark, to the man in the truck. <laughs> that must mean that he's planning to take you somewhere else tonight. You have to get out of here. You go to the door and throw all your weight against it, but it doesn't budge. Turn to page 51. This just keeps going and going. The wow. window is your only way out. If you can get to that other building, maybe you can hide there until they leave. You pry at the catch on the bottom of the window. The rusty metal handle seems permanently stuck, but finally, squeaking and scraping, it turns far enough to free the latch. The window opens. You look out to see if the coast is clear. There's no one in sight, and the evening darkness is closing in. You squeeze through the window and drop to the ground. There are lights on in the main house, and a Naldo truck is parked in the driveway. You cautiously move toward the other building. A door slams and you see shadowy figures moving beside the house. They're probably coming to get you. Staying close to the wall of the long building, you creep toward the door. You're in luck. The knob turns easily. You push the door open and enter. It's cold and dark inside. You close the door and try to look around, but the building doesn't seem to have any windows and it's pitch black. You stumble, reaching out. You try to grab something to break your fall. Your hand touches a counter with a conveyor belt on it. You realize you're in a packing house. The only thing that could possibly have a conveyor belt in it. Turn to page six. I feel like we solved the ghost train like an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, it's been so... <laughs> page six. Okay, there must be a loading dock at the end of this conveyor belt, you tell yourself. Even if it's not used anymore, the fruit that came in had to go out. If you follow the counter to the end, it should lead to an outside loading dock near the road. Maybe you can hitchhike a ride from there back to Harry's. You climb up on the counter and crawl along the belt. You must be getting near the end. The grips on the belt have changed pattern. By the time it gets this far, you think the fruit must be in crates ready for the trucks. Suddenly, you feel the counter moving slowly downward. You're on a weight-activated elevator. You feel a bump and swing off the counter. Free of your weight, the elevator slowly rises back up to the main floor of the packing house. You shiver. It's cold down here. You feel around for the double doors that you know must be here. How else would they get the fruit to the trucks waiting at the loading dock? Your hand brushes against a handle. You found it. You push against the heavy door and step over the threshold, but you're not outside. You're inside a cold storage locker. The door closes firmly behind you. You are never seen again. Two years after your mysterious disappearance, the packing shed burns to the ground. Harry's fruit farm is subdivided and condominiums are built on the property. Harry has a nervous breakdown, thinking he is the cause of your and Belinda's disappearances have you the ever, end <laughs> there are some condo defenders in the chat because i think there are the more affordable way into homeownership for some people but did you ever think about blood condos that are, <laughs> <laughs> that were built on the corpses of dead american teenagers <laughs> what the <laughs> this is <laughs> What a good book! No good endings. No good endings anywhere. It's just, you tr like we we saved those people. We saved hundreds of lives. We reunited people with their families. There was a whole lore thing where 
the 18th and 19th and wait 19th 20th and 21st centuries are all happening at the same time and the 1920s and 1930s the 20s and 30s and the 90s and now i mean (laughs) (laughs) the the greatest hits of the 1920s 30s and now we're playing on that train there's a lot going on in ghost train I'm scared of this book. I'm I worried think, that there's more in there. There is more in there. And I think if we remember the haunted mask when Carly put on the haunted mask and she took it off real fast and she got out of there. Yeah. The, but then she put it on that second time and she left it on too long and she couldn't get it <laughs> off her face. I worry if we go back to see more to, to try and resolve this impossibly Byzantine condo peach plot to get a good ending i worry that we'll never find our way out again i can't go back in there Andrew. i can't i can't go back a third time partly because we just literally both tossed our books and they <laughs> book the, broke the I structural the, you've flown your book apart the, the structural integrity is given up hall integrity is at 17 percent. it's not holding <laughs> the dog killed us Chuck killed us by on by accident and on purpose. Chuck killed us two times. <laughs> and yet we got we solved the ghost mystery. Our buddy Harry was recuperating from a dangerous car accident. And he was getting addicted to painkillers. Also, Bronwyn says this book is bananas. I remind you again. Harry sells peaches. Come on, everybody. Get it right. Or pay the price. <laughs> what a good book. Time zones, Andrew. Time, but not like those time zones. <laughs> and then they said timelines. Listen, we've been riding the train for so long that we didn't know that they invented. <laughs> they called a different thing time zones. Why did it need to tell us that after we got disappeared in a fruit food locker that Harry had a nervous breakdown? Because there is no light and nothing good can stay and there is no hope of salvation for any of us in this fallen world craig is why yeah okay Mm -hmm. well we did it we found the dog we found the ghost train we saved the dog we We saved belinda yeah even though she (laughs) left behind a ziggy comic about (laughs) chuck's complicity wait hold on yeah, it was it was about I've seen this episode of Deadwood. I've seen the episode of Deadwood where they bring a drawing to the person who's running the business and say this is the murderer. You're trying to find Belinda's sketch. Yeah, where did the where was the part where we All right, turn to page 106. I'm trying to find the part where we could have tucked and rolled and jumped out of the truck. Oh, yeah. It was page 12. Page 12. Page you decide 12. that you must escape. Okay, this will be fast. You decide that we have jumped out instead. <laughs> You're gonna <laughs> you decide that you must escape from Chuck immediately so you can get back to the farm and warn Harry. The road is lined on both sides now by dense forest. Up ahead, you see a sharp bend. Chuck will have to slow down. You wait and watch. The instant his foot moves to the brake pedal, you yank your door handle. Startled, he reaches over to grab you, but you're already out of the truck and tumbling down the gravel-covered grade at the shoulder. Tires squeal, 
By the time Chuck is pulled safely to a stop, you have disappeared into a gully, pulling leaves and brambles over you. From your hiding place, you hear Chuck crashing into the forest, grumbling to himself. Eventually, you hear the truck start up and leave. You've succeeded. You crawl out, check your position of the sun, start walking in what you think is the direction of the farm, but you're actually heading deeper and deeper into the forest. In the fall, a deer hunter finds your remains, but the story only makes page five of the newspaper. The big news in the Okanagan Valley is the trial of Harry Westlake, who is accused of killing Chuck Simpson, the man he hired to guard his property. The newspaper reports that Harry shot Chuck when he discovered that the guard was being paid by the Naldo Corporation. The end. There is no, there's nothing good. There is no joy. There is no hope. God is dead. Welcome to the ghost train. All aboard. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what? Why does there's every... There's no good ending. Why is every ending an episode of My Favorite Murder? <laughs> my favorite ghost train. Well, I'm depressed. <laughs> I'm so glad we found the train. I loved meeting Ben Huggins. I lo- ben Huggins was cool. Jeremiah other- will live in my heart forever. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Uh, Bronwyn says peaches come from a can, which is correct. They were put there by a man in yeah, a factory downtown. In a factory downtown. Mm-hmm. We never hurt that dog, okay? We never hurt the dog. In the at dog least only hurt one us. time zone, we saved the dog. Mm-hmm. So, thank you all for joining us on this train ride. For what is got to be in the top 10 episode lengthwise for <laughs> the lifetime of our podcast. <laughs> for sure. Um, if you think we should have done anything differently, send I don't us care. an email. Don't, know. don't send us an email. Write an email and then print it out and then throw it in the trash because I don't want to see it. Light it on fire like Chuck did that Ziggy drawing. (laughs) Throw it in the woods for a hunter to find two years from now. (laughs) Send us an email over to podagmo.com. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, Mastodon, whatever you're using at OverduePod. I think we have Mastodon. I don't know. I don't think we do. You... Look into it. I've made noise about... Yeah, I've I've said that. You tooted about it. I did say tooted. Um... Yeah, our uh, theme music was composed by Nick Larandris. Thanks for riding the tracks with us, Nick. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? People talking about merch for the Ghost Train episode, and I do think a <laughs> shirt with a train on it that said God is dead would probably sell okay on the internet. Uh, <laughs> Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Uh, We also have a Patreon page, which you all know about if you're in the chat. But if you're not in the chat and you want to join us and just descend into madness with us next time, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Support the show financially. Help us do stuff like this. And everybody has a good time, I think. I think. Everybody does have a good time, we think. (sighs) Thanks, everybody, for riding the rails with us. We'll see you next time. And thanks for supporting the show. Patreon supporters, we love you. We'll see you in the next time zone, everybody. Until then, try to be happy. Please try. Try try and fail to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>